0: Thank you, Brother Frank. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are we doing today? Yeah, you sound good. You look good. What a great morning to be in the house of the Lord. Jordan and I are honored to be with you today, to stand and share God's worth with word with you. It's been a joy to get to know your Senior Pastor Search Committee over these last few months. I'll say what I've said in many meetings and many services. You guys selected really well. Um, the people we've met on this committee are phenomenal, godly, lovely people, and if the saying is true that the committee is like the church, we are very excited about joining potentially our family with yours. Uh, We believe that God has led us to this moment, has led us to this point, and our prayer today is that the Lord would make it abundantly clear how our family can serve this family of faith in the future, the bright future that God has laid out for us. That's enough about me. Uh, We're here to talk about someone more important, aren't we? Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare to worship the Lord through the preaching, hearing, and receiving of God's word, can I pray for us and ask the Spirit's help uh, in what is a a spiritual work that we need in us through the word of God today? Let me pray for us, church family. Father, we're grateful to be able to gather together and encourage one another through your word, singing your word, praying your word hearing your word, preaching your word. Father, we pray that you would do your work in us through your word. And we need your Spirit's help. We pray the Holy Spirit would come and he would do his illuminating work in us, that he would open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to the truth of your word and who are, Who you are revealing yourself to be through your word, and that he would also shape us and mold us into the image of your Son, the incarnate word, the internal, eternal word so that we can glorify you as your people in greater ways. And truly, that's our desire. And then, Father, now in this moment of preaching, it's my prayer as always that you would increase and I would decrease. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. As I was thinking about what to share with you guys today, um, it became a little overwhelming. How do you communicate to a group of people Um, who you are and kind of what your values are and why you think that your values will align in terms of serving as a senior pastor of a new people. And usually, because I'm committed to expository preaching, I just move to the next section of a book that we are going through. And as I was praying through and thinking through and feeling the the anxiousness in my heart rise up as to what I was to share to you today, I I just believe the Holy Spirit comforted my heart uh, with a word, the gospel. Jared, just share with this people the gospel, because that's what we are about as the people of God, right? I I just want to encourage you today with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know many of you in this room are followers of Christ already, so you may be thinking, Jared, why do I need to hear the gospel again? Well, the Bible is very clear that, yes, the gospel is what saves us, but the good news of Jesus Christ is also what sustains us. It, it brings us to faith in Christ and it keeps us in faith in Christ. We, we can never hear the gospel too many times. We, we can never or should never, as the people of God, grow tired or weary of he, hearing how God has so incredibly loved us through his son, Jesus. And here's a commitment that I will make to you. If you see fit as a church to extend a call to me and my family to serve this church as a senior pastor of this body, every week we will gather over the Word of God. Every week when we gather in the Word of God, we will declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will exalt Christ, believing The the testimony of scripture that when we exalt Jesus, when we lift him high, he will draw all men to himself, and we will encourage one another, not with the words of man, but with the words of God. That's what we want to be about as a church, and that's my commitment to you if you extend the call to me to be the senior pastor of this body. So why should today be any different? If that's what we're going to do week in and week out, certainly we should do that today. So this morning, we're going to declare the gospel. This morning, we're going to exalt Christ. And this morning, we are going to encourage one another from the word of God. Sound like a good plan? Now, we're going to do that in kind of a surprising way, perhaps, because we're going to talk about the gospel from the Old Testament. And Genesis chapter 19, it's incredible to me how God has designed the entirety of his word to always point us to Jesus and the, the redemptive work that he has done for us in Christ. And the Lord has been using this story, the story of Lot, specifically over the past few years, to really press me as I seek to be more like Christ and I seek to, to follow in greater obedience He's been using this story to to make me ask some deep spiritual questions of myself. And I hope that he will allow that same reflective opportunity through the work of his spirit to happen amongst us today. The Lord has used this story in a very personal way because I see my own story in Lot's story. It's my hope that you will see your story in Lot's story today as we sit before the word. You could say, That we have the same lot in life as Lot, which gives us a lot to consider (laughs) as the people of God this morning. But in all seriousness, the story of Lot, it's a human story. It reveals the brokenness of our sinful hearts and the need for God to do something miraculous, gracious, amazing, glorious as only he can to transform our hearts, to change our hearts and to save us from the sin that so entangles us. Here's the question that the Lord has allowed me to ask of myself, that I want us to ask of ourselves today, through the study of this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 19. The story of Lot. What do you love? What do we as the people of God, love, if we could see what the Holy Spirit sees, if he, if he would allow us to do some, some spiritual diagnostics in our heart, if we could peel back to the deepest recesses of our heart, what do we truly love? What do we truly desire? Where are we placing our, our hope in to find joy and meaning and satisfaction? Is it in the things of this world or the things of God? Is it in God Himself or things He created to point us to Himself? This is an important question. It's a gospel question. It's it's a revealing question because it, it helps us consider whether or not our hearts are right before a holy and righteous God. An answer that could have eternal consequences, that does. Have eternal consequences. What do you love? Let's let the Lord use the story of Lot found in Genesis chapter 19 to help us answer that question. Now before we get there, let's do a little background. Who is Lot? Maybe it's been a while since you've heard the story of Lot. Maybe it's been a little while since you've read Genesis chapter 19, so let me help you arrive at where we will be in the text of Scripture today. Lot was the nephew of a guy named Abraham. You've probably heard of him if you've been around the church any bit of time. He was a patriarch of the faith. Uh, he received the, the initial covenant that God made to, to form a people for his own possession. He had the favor of God upon him. And ne- And Lot, being the nephew of Abraham, also received the favor of God in being associated with Abraham. So he became very wealthy, had a huge family, many, many acres of of land and livestock. In fact, the Bible says that there comes a point in the blessing of Abraham and Lot where their their families and their wealth become so large they can no longer hold the same space. They can't be in the same area of land. They have to divide. And Abraham lets Lot choose where he wants to move his family and his livestock. And he looks at the Jordan River Valley and sees that it's the most fruitful and pleasing to the eye, and he moves there. But here's the problem. When he moves to the Jordan River Valley... The Bible says that he moved his tent as far as a city called Sodom. And this is significant, according to the Bible, because the men of Sodom were wicked. They were great sinners against the Lord. You can think of them like this. The Olympics are coming up, right? We hope. Hopefully there's no more delay because of COVID. If there was a gold medal given to a people for sinning, The people of Sodom would win it every time. They were great sinners and Lot settled right beside them. Eventually he moved in with them and although he's later declared righteous by the apostle Peter in his second epistle, the sinfulness of Sodom clearly begins to have an effect upon Lot and his family. Now as we get closer to Genesis 19, here's what's happening. The Lord And two angels appear to Abraham, and they tell him they're about to destroy the city of Sodom because of its wickedness. And Abraham, of course, is concerned because his nephew, whom he loves, lives there. So he begins to intercede on his knees before the Lord. God, would you spare them? If I can find this amount of people that are righteous, would you spare them? And Abraham works all the way down to ten people. God, if there are ten people in this city that are righteous, would you spare this city? And God says, yes, but there are not even ten to be found. In fact, Lot may be the only quote-unquote righteous person, and that only because of the grace of God toward him. So the two angels go to Sodom, and they approach Lot. Lot knows there's something unique about them, so he invites them into his house. He feeds them, and he protects them. When the wicked men of Sodom... Approach his house, desiring to do very wicked things, very evil things to these men. And a gross display of Lot's own brokenness and own wickedness, he even offers his daughters to appease these men's wicked appetites. He's a flawed man, and his flawed, his flaws became even more great as he associated with the wickedness of the people of Sodom. Now, what happens? When the time of judgment comes, when the warning comes to bear upon the reality of Lot and his family, and they need to get out, what happens? Let's look together the Word of God. Genesis 19, beginning in verse 12 and reading through verse 29. Here's what the Word of God says. And these men, the messengers from God, they said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, you need to bring them out of this place because we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become so great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out. He said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, you guys got to get up. You got to get out of this place. The Lord is about to destroy the city, but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting Joking. This morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife, take your daughters who are here. Get out, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Look at verse 16. But even in the midst of that urging, Lot lingered. So the men seized him and his wife, His two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out, set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley along the way. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you've shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I can't escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is is near enough to plead to, this little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, the messenger, behold, I grant you this favor also. I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly because I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth and the lot when Lot came to Zor, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulphur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the valley. He looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. That's a powerful story, isn't it? It's dramatic. It's powerful, but it's also personal. Do you see your own story in this story? I certainly see my story in this story, and I also see the seeds of the gospel that changes the nature of my story and all of those who come up, call upon the the name of Jesus for salvation. And this and this story of Lot. The Lord's doing something. He's revealing the condition of broken, sinful hearts. But he's also revealing the heart of God. He's revealing the need for the gospel because of our hearts. And he's also revealing the provision for the gospel in the heart of God. Can we consider those two things together for a little bit just to understand more more completely the power of the gospel and encourage each other with the gospel today? Can we consider what the story of Lot reveals about our own heart and what the story of Lot reveals about the heart of God to help us know about our need for the gospel and God's provision for the gospel? Let's start with our own hearts. What does this story teach us about our hearts? Where we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what this passage shows us. As broken, sinful people, we love things that will lead to our destruction. As broken, sinful people, apart from Christ, we love things that will lead to our destruction. We place our hope, we place our hope for joy and satisfaction in things that are destined for destruction. And as a result of that, we will have the same fate. As those things, if God and his grace does not intervene. In our state apart from Christ, and sometimes, honestly, even in our state on the other side of coming to salvation in Christ, although with different circumstances, our hearts lead us to long for things and love things that will lead to our destruction. I want you to think about what Lot does here. It'd be comical if it wasn't so tragic it's hard to believe. Lot's of actions in this text. Listen, I don't think that Lot at any point doubts what's coming. There's no hint in the text that he does not believe what the messengers of God have come to tell him. In fact, he acts on it. He goes to his future sons-in-laws and he tells them, Hey guys, listen, judgment is coming. But he has so little credibility with them. When it comes to matters of God, that they laugh at him, he must be joking. And then later, as I said in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, he's considered a righteous man because at some point he does believe the word of God. But when the actual time of judgment comes, when God says, I'm about to pour out my wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah, how does Lot respond? Do you remember in verse 16? Verse 15, the angels come and they say, hey, you gotta get out, take your wife, take your daughters, they're here, you gotta get away right now or you're gonna get swept away. How would you think you would react in that moment? If my wife and my kids were on the line and I knew an almighty, powerful God was about to throw his wrath upon the place that I live, hopefully I'm lacing up my running shoes. I wanna get out. But what does Lot do? He lingers. Isn't that odd? In the face of certain judgment, Lot lingers. We don't know why exactly. We just know that there's a pause. A pause. Why? Because Lot loves something more than he believes the word of God. Lot loves something that is destined for destruction. And if he had his own way, it would have led to his destruction as well. Listen, Lot sits at a familiar intersection for many of us in this room, probably all of us in this room. A crossroads that we face at times in our life between believing the word of God and loving stuff that's destined for destruction. Believing the word of God and loving stuff more than we love our God. My guess is all of us have had this moment, this predicament, probably on both sides of salvation. And that's why this story is so challenging. That's why the Lord has used it so much in my own life. I, we, constantly waver between believing what God has said and loving something else. Our hearts waver between the word of God and what we desire. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe, do we believe that the things of God are better than the things of this world? Do we believe that? Do we believe that the blessings we have in this life, the gifts we've been given in this life are just instruments, tools that God uses to get us to him? who is the ultimate source of joy and satisfaction in our lives. I've had the privilege now of being in ministry for about 18 years. I joined the staff at a church at the age of 20. And even though I'm young, I do feel old. And I've got some, a little bit of gray hair to back me up on that. Okay? So 18 years of ministry, I've had the privilege of counseling and walking with people through various degrees of sin. People who are in pervasive sin, captured by sin. And 90% of the time when I'm counseling someone, maybe more than that, but we'll say 90, 90% of the time when they come to me struggling with the sin, it's not that they don't know it's wrong. They just don't want to stop doing it. It's a desire issue. Especially if they're in Christ, the Holy Spirit's convicting them. The Word of God has been clear. They know they should love something better. But even though they know judgment's coming, even though they know discipline is coming, they linger in the sin because they love the sin more than they believe God. Friends, we must reject the lie that sin is better. It's not, it's not, And before long, if you stay in it, it will lead to your destruction. So don't set up a tent near Sodom. Don't establish your life near things that could change the affections of your heart. That could lead you into judgment. Can I say a word to non-Christians for a moment? I don't know who showed up today. I don't know how you came in. My guess is in a room with this many people. There's someone here who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you just showed up because you heard there was this guy from Texas coming today. Let me say a word to you. If you're not a follower of Christ, the world is empty apart from God. It's empty. I don't know how many examples we need to see to be reminded of this, to be shown this. You can set your affections on a bank account or a 401k, but guess what, guys? The stock market could crash tomorrow and everything you've saved could be gone in a moment. You could set your heart on material things, houses, cars, stuff, but tomorrow a flood could come or a fire could happen. I've seen it too many times and everything you've placed your hope in could be taken in a moment. You could set your hope on a person going home today, that person could die in a car accident. We're not, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, friends. Why on earth would you set your hope on things that could be taken in a moment? Set your hope on something eternal. God created you to find satisfaction and joy in him. The deepest longings of your heart can only be satisfied in God. And the only way you get to God is through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him, but he's made a way. And if you go to him, you can find everything that you have longed for. And a world that was empty will suddenly be full. For the, non, for the, for the Christians in the room, let me say a word to you. You know that's true. You know that satisfaction is only found in God, and you know the future of this world. You know there's coming a day when when God will bring judgment over this broken, sinful world and make all things new. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, do not let your heart be corrupted. Don't go back to those things that are destined for destruction and that you know will not satisfy. Fall in love with God. Fall in love with what he has prepared for you because it's better. I heard a faithful pastor say recently, it's not hard for us to choose heaven over hell. What's hard is choosing heaven over earth. Are we setting our hearts on the things of God or the things of this world? Lot set his heart on the things of this world. And it looks for a moment like his story is going to be a tragedy and that he's going to be caught up in the judgment right along with every other person in Sodom and Gomorrah. But praise God, that's not where his story ends, right? How many of us in this room would have stories that would be tragedies if not for the gracious act of God? Yes, it is true that we learned a lot about the heart of man in this story, but we also learn a lot about the heart of God that brings about the provision of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the story, the story of Lot, teach us about God and the heart of God? God is in the business of rescuing broken people. Isn't that good news? I'm broken, you're broken, and we serve a God that rescues broken people. He's in the business of transforming hearts, freeing them, from their bondage and captivity to sin and allowing them to behold the glory and the grace of God. When we give ourselves to things that are devoted to destruction, our future is also one of destruction. But because of the merciful action of God, our future is no longer a future of destruction. God, through his son, has seized us. And even after he saves us, He seizes us in a saving way. He saves us over and over again as his people, sustaining us for the work that is to come. Earlier, we considered the actions of Lot. Can Can we consider for a moment the actions of the angels, the messengers in this story? What do they do when they see Lot lingering? They urge him in verse 15, hey, get out of here. They warn him. But then they see this guy, this broken, sinful guy, staying put. How could he do that? What's their action? What's their response when they see the response of Lot? The men seized him. They seized him and his wife and his two daughters. They grab him by the hand and they lead him out of judgment to safety. They bring him out of what captivated him in order to save him. Now listen, I don't know if in the whole course of the Bible there's a clearer picture of the gospel than this. I don't know if in the whole Bible there's not a clearer picture of what God has done for us in Jesus than how God saved Lot right in this moment in Genesis chapter 19. Go back with me if you can to the moment of your salvation. Do you remember it? I want, to be, I want you to think about where you were before God rescued you. You were lost in your sin. Your heart was bound to sin. It was, it was captivated by the things of this world. And chances are you had no idea that judgment was coming. You had no idea you needed to be saved. And even if someone had told you that judgment is coming, and your heart of hearts, you probably would have wanted to stay put. Because you loved this world more than you loved God. But in a moment of glorious grace, the Lord allowed you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed The Holy Spirit awakened your heart to a better reality and the need for salvation. And through the work of the word, God, through his son, grabbed your spiritual arm. He yanked you out of your sin and he placed you in a place of eternal safety. Praise, praise be to God. Friends, that is good news he seized you in the midst of your lingering, and even on the other side of Christ, even after we've been saved in a, a, we've been seized in a saving way, he seizes us again. How, how crazy is it that even after we know all this stuff, that our hearts can, can go back, we can, we can set our tents and from a place like Sodom and we can before long find ourselves living in it, even though we know that judgment is coming and that those things are destined for destruction. And while that doesn't remove our salvation, it does hamper our ability to have fellowship with God and become more like Christ. But hearing the gospel, it seizes us again. It redirects our hearts back to Jesus. We're recaptured for the glory of God. Now, why would God do this? Why would God save us, even though we didn't want to be saved? And why would he continue to direct our hearts back to him? I think the scripture offers us two reasons why God has done this. Two core centerpieces of his heart. Number one, he's merciful. We see that in verse 16. Why do the angels grab him by the hand and his daughters and his wife? Because the Lord was merciful to him. We serve a merciful God, don't we? Aren't you glad? I need his mercy. I'm so glad that God doesn't give me what I deserve, but allowed his son to take what I deserved so that I could be placed in safety. And the second reason, he says, is found in verse 29. It's not only the mercy of God, it's the steadfast love of God toward his covenant. Let's go to verse 29 for a moment because When I was reading through this a little while ago, this verse just stuck out to me. I'd never read this verse in this way. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, listen to this. God remembered who? Abraham. And sent out who? Lot. He remembered Abraham, but he sent out Lot of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Think about that. God made a covenant with Abraham. He loved Abraham. And the favor that Abraham had from God was extended to Lot so that even though Lot deserved destruction, he found mercy. I want you to think about your own salvation, friends, because we live in a new covenant. A new covenant given through the Son of God. And certainly if Abraham had favor with God, Jesus has more favor. And here's the good news for us. When we come into the family of Christ, when he becomes our brother, the favor that God has for Jesus is extended to us so that even though we did not deserve salvation, even though we deserved destruction, we find salvation. And it's eternally secure. Think about that. Every time God sees you, even when you've allowed your heart to be captivated by something else, if you are in Christ, he sees his son. And he works to bring you out of judgment, out of destruction, into salvation. It's good news. It's the gospel that Christ became sin for us, that his blood covers us, all because of the mercy and the steadfast love of God. We need to hear this message over and over again. May we never grow tired of hearing it. It's the message unto salvation, and it's the message that God used to sustain us, and it's how we win the battle. On those moments of choice, When we have to choose between believing the word of God or loving things that are destined for destruction, it is the gospel that captures our hearts and helps us love God in a way that is not natural to us. Why? Because as John says in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because why? He first loved us. We need to be reminded over and over again, this is how much God has loved you. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. There's no greater love than that. No greater love than a a man laying down his life, not only for a friend but an enemy. And that's what Christ has done for us. We need to be captured by that love again and again and again. So we're going to be a gospel people. We're going to tell We're going to speak often, daily, about how God has loved us in Christ so that our hearts are arrested by him. Not the things of this world. Not something temporary. Not something with a future of destruction, but something eternal with a future of glory. Amen? Can we think about how to respond for a moment? The word of God demands a response. And it's good for us to let this text Let this word press us, challenge us to make sure that we are in Christ and we are walking after Christ. So let me ask again, if there's anybody in this room who does not know Jesus, there's a future of destruction that awaits, and the judgment that is coming is significantly worse than the judgment we've seen in this text. It won't just be over two cities. It'll be over the whole world. And it won't just be for a moment. It'll be for all of eternity. But there is salvation in Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? This judgment. Have you repented and believed in Christ? Have you been seized by the gospel? And given your life to Jesus, there's no better way to respond this morning to this this text than that. In just a minute, we'll have some pastors here in the front. They would love to speak with you if you want to respond in that way. For the rest of us, those who are in Christ, how's your heart? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to help you answer that question? How is my heart? Am I captivated by the right things? Have I been setting up my tent near things that I know will corrupt my heart and turn it away from the Lord. Maybe you're in deep sin today and maybe you need to come up to a pastor and say, I need help. I need help getting out of the sin and moving my heart back to things that I know will lead to true joy and satisfaction. Let's let the gospel do its work. After it's saved you, let's let it sustain you today. And then for the rest of us, as the people of God, could we stand up on that mountain with Abraham today and look out at what we know is certain judgment and destruction and give thanks that even though that was our future, God and his mercy, God and his steadfast love has taken us out of that and given us a new future of eternal security with him. That's a reason to praise God. Amen. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Ask the Spirit to help you know how to respond. Father, would you find us faithful as we think about what you've challenged us in in your word today? And would you help us be more like Jesus because of our time in the word today? Father, find us faithful.